podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Talking Cup and a new series of shows we have called The Helm. I'm the host Keith and I'm delighted to be joined by Garrett Roberts today to talk about the ownership of Liverpool Football Club, the current owners, the previous owners and how Garrett feels the ownership has been progressing. Garrett, how are you? I'm all right, mate. Yeah, thanks for the invite on the show, mate. Good stuff. Now, delighted to have you, delighted to have you. Uh, a lot of our listeners um, will be very familiar with you. Um, Garrett founded um, the Well Read magazine, the Lay Tackle magazine, the Anfield Rap, which a lot of people will know you from as well, and your current podcast, The Lay Challenge with Paul Cope, which I think is brilliant. Um, you seem to be Thanks. seem to be very busy on the uh, content stuff with Liverpool, especially. Yeah, trying to keep me eye in, mate. Um, still doing bits and bobs. Um, we'll see how it all unfolds. I mean, the the, the latest one was really just the sort of. You know, a bit of an experiment to see if we could see what we could do with it. Uh, we've been doing it nearly a year now. Um, slowly but surely, numbers are going up, and you know the Liverpool show that we do live on a Monday uh, appears to be going well and and it's quite popular. So if people aren't onto that already, come along on Monday live at five on our YouTube channel when we chat away. Hopefully this week all about uh, tonking Manchester United with a bit of luck. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Now, it's an yeah. excellent show. Yeah, anybody that's not already subscribed, go over and jump on that. It's excellent stuff. Um, so, yeah, the idea of this show is that we're going to look at different clubs and how they the fans feel about the ownership of their clubs, you know, whether it's the, you know, their previous owners, the current owners, the future of their ownership. And just to get an idea from fans on the ground about what they feel the ownership is. Because, look, I'm in Dublin, Liverpool fan. I'm not on the street in Liverpool, get over as much as we can. But I wanted to start off with a Liverpool show and I wanted somebody who was was there at the, the cold face, you know, at the very start um, with Hicks and Gillette into FSG. And yeah, um, I, I'm delighted you decided to join us. But we'll, we'll go back to the very start, um, Robbo. We'll look at um, your thoughts on the previous ownership. So if you want to go back to the feeling around Hicks and Gillette, I'll let you go any way you want with that. Yeah, I mean, the the reason we sort of ended up in their hands really is probably the you know the easiest place to start. So you know, obviously Liverpool um, pre Hicks and Gillette was owned by David Moores, and um, I think you know by his own admission in the end, you know he and everyone involved in the sale of Liverpool made a huge mistake letting Hicks and Gillette get their hands on it. But you know the reason was that he didn't feel and Liverpool didn't feel at the time that they could be competitive with him as the owner. And, you know, that's been borne out by the direction that football's gone in since. So, um, I think it, it's right to say sort of everyone fell asleep at the wheel in, in letting them take hold of Liverpool. But equally, the reasons for it, you know, it, it did have to be done because it was where Liverpool, it was where football went at the time. Um, if you remember as well, it, you know, it was sort of, it was supposed to be DIC, wasn't it, at one point? Yeah. Uh, then that all sort of fell through. Uh, and then these two shysters um, showed up, uh, promised us all kinds, promised us a new ground, promised us uh, money for the team and all the rest of it. Um, and very quickly, it started to unravel and it started to become clear that they were, nothing, they were nothing like what they described themselves as. And, in, and instead, um, they, they loaded the club with a load of debt. It was a leverage buyout. 
Um, you know, Liverpool at one point were paying, I think it was £110,000 a day just in interest on loans, uh, racked up debts of coming, you know, closely coming towards 500 million quid. Um, and look, you know, I, I think people forget things like, you know, Fernando Torres is one of the, the, the greatest strikers to have played for the club and certainly in, in the sort of modern era, you know, and, and he certainly had one of the best songs as well. Um, and, you know, to sell to sell your star asset, you know, to Chelsea, you know, it just wasn't done. It just, you know, not the Liverpool way, as we like to used to say. And, it, you know, and the reason it was done was someone had to go, uh, someone had to pay towards those debts. And, and you know... I, the whole thing, the whole thing was a shambles. The whole thing was a mess. Uh, I think we spent um, around fifty million quid, or, or so the account showed on um, drawings of of a stadium that never actually great. happened. Um, and you know, we stayed at Anfield now, and I'm glad that we stayed at Anfield. To be honest, um, yeah. You know, I, I do try and get to as many aways as I can, and I've been to a lot of these sort of Lego stadiums in a car park in the middle of nowhere, and. I I prefer that we've stayed where we are. You know, we've got the history. You can stand on the cop and you can look at, you know, that Anfield pitch and you can say that blade of grass there is where Steven Gerrard did that shot against Olympiacos. And if we'd have moved anywhere else, even if it was only Stanley Park, but you wouldn't be able to say that anymore. So I'm glad that we've we, we stuck with it and with the history and the heritage of it. But that wasn't the plan. Do you know what I mean? And that, that sort of happened by accident. Uh, and if it was down to them, you know, we would have had that new stadium on Stanley Park. But, you know, very quickly, there was no spade in the ground, as was promised. Um, you know, the supporters started to get onto what they were doing. Um, what was weird about that time, and, you know, I launched Well Read at that time, and one of the reasons that I launched the magazine was I felt let down as a football fan from the city, you know, by how the media, a lot of the media, including the local paper, were treating this story or rather not treating the story. I mean, you know, the echo in particular at the time was shocking in terms of, you know, not really laying a glove on Hicks and Gillette and not really wanting to get involved, it seemed. Uh, if you think back to when, uh, you know, obviously Spirit of Shankly was born at this yeah. time as well, um, and they had meetings with Christian Perslow. Um, the two sides didn't agree with what had been said in the meeting and, and Spirit of Shankly sort of released their version of events, uh, plenty of media was happy to run that at the time, and the echo, the echo fudged it. The echo didn't run it. That's our local paper, um, and, and that was one of the reasons that I, you know, I, I, I was personally angry about that. I wasn't alone, and you know, I launched Well Read to just do my small bit, really, to sort of get the message across of what was going on. And I think, I think at that time as well, you know, Liverpool still to this day is probably one of the best represented football clubs online, if you like, in terms of an online community. And I think that goes back to those Hicks and Gillette days because everybody 24-7 almost was on forums, on social media and all the rest of it, coming together as one to get them out. Um, and I think that there's been a knock-on effect of that as well, obviously, in terms of, you know, now we've got plenty of outlets producing content and all that, but also... We've got a huge following, and 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 it seems there's a constant sort of, um, you know, there's a con there's a constant fractious element to that. Really, you know, there's there's, there's people with different opinions on things, which is absolutely fine. Yeah. But what I don't understand about it is the sort of the abuse that runs alongside it. So, 
you know, if we're going to move on, and I know we are going to move on to the current owners, but some of the stuff about that, you know, people who spend 24-7 telling me or, or anyone else that, you know, we definitely have to get these owners out. And if you think differently to me, you're the biggest knobhead on the world. You know, come on. You know, like we're, ultimately we all support Liverpool. And if it was if it was anything like what Hicks and Gillette was like, people would be out on the streets. There would be burning crosses, there would be banners, there would be meetings at you know St. George's Steps and all the rest of it, like there was back in the day. For me, you know, the current ownership's never approached anything close to that. Okay, there's been big mistakes, but um, you know, they've tended to roll back, they tended to do the U-turn, they tended to turn the car back around when they've when they've made those mistakes. Hicks and Gillette weren't bothered. Hicks and Gillette were happy to take on the fans, were happy to go and seek finance and try and keep the claws in the club. Um, and you know, I still say, and always will say that fans played a massive part in getting them out. You think about all the stuff that went on, the sort of lobbying of journalists, the blocking of journalists' mailboxes, um, you know, the sort of lobbying finance companies and telling them that, you know, we don't want you to deal with these people because we want them out. All of those things, you know, definitely helped towards the ultimate goal, which was getting rid of them. Um, and, and thankfully, we did we did too. Um, I was looking through some old well reds earlier and a lot of it's... Are, um, a very depressing read, um, you know, <laughs> a, 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 remind, a reminder of how bad it was, though. And, yeah. you know, like getting rid of Rafa and replacing him with Hodgson, for fuck's sake. Um, you know, sort of getting beat by Blackpool and Wolves and, you know, whoever else at the time. And, you know, listening to a manager going on about formidable Northampton and, you know, <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. It was just, it was a horrible time to, to you know, to be a Red and, I think we all like to say we've got a loyal fan base and we've got fans who'll be there through thick and thin. But we played Bolton, I think, on New Year's Day uh, around those times and plenty of people didn't bother. Um, yeah. And frankly, frankly, I don't blame them. So we had some absolute shite playing for us and we had the worst manager in the history of Liverpool Football Club sat in the dugout. Yeah, it was a tough time, all right, because as you say, you go from, and look, Liverpool have always had that sorted. They always wanted to have it. Mosaic manager, you know, and he had Rafa. Rafa wins the European Cup, he's so popular, not with all the fans, but with, with a lot of the fans. And to go and replace him with someone like Roy Hodgson, and something that you touched on was you know, the media love Roy Hodgson, and the the positive press that Roy Hodgson got was against what they're feeling the Liverpool fans was very quickly after his appointment. But you know, the, the struggle there at the time, you're looking at Hicks and Gillette coming in. Just oh, want to oh. say, I just spot, sorry, mate. I just spotted in the in the comments people saying about you know when Torres actually went. It, it, I've got to say that you know it was the, the reason he went and the reason he was pissed off and and you know the reason we ended up selling our best striker is the likes of Pearslow, who was appointed by you know only ever arrived at the club because of the previous owners. Yeah, you know, producing lists telling him these are the players you'll be playing with, which was a complete lie, um, and you know. Okay, when he eventually goes, I know I'm aware, but what I'm saying is we had no chance of keeping hold of him. Yeah, because damage was of done. how the club had been. Yeah, exactly. The damage was done. Yeah, Sorry, exactly. <laughs> no, no, that that's a very fair point. Very fair point. But it was it was a bleak time, you know. It was it was. Yeah. Um, you hear the likes of Gary Neville, you know, when he ch he goes on about oh, Liverpool fans should be out protesting their owners and that sort of stuff. But as you touched on there, back in these days, Liverpool fans were protesting their owners and were. You know, applying the pressure that that was needed, as well as the the trouble that the, 
Hicks and Gillette had got themselves into. But you know, when the fans had to do what they did do it, and you know, a lot as you say, a lot of people aren't as into the new owners as the as as some of the others, but you know, it's night and day the way they they're running us compared to Hicks and Gillette. So Hicks and Gillette bought the club for about 220 million, I think, from from Moors at the time. Which you know seems peanuts when you you think of the, the, the and then they wanted a billion though. quid or something. Yeah, <laughs> and and even then, you know, they ended up selling it. So what they go into receivership? Are the RBS is a Royal Bank of Scotland there looking to to take back the money and yeah, uh, Christian Porslow was involved and and Martin Broughton is brought in to oversee the sale of the club and FSG or uh, Norting what we had Nesvi at the time come in and they buy the club and like that again the numbers being mentioned it's it's a pittance you know they bought it for about 300 million and when you think of a club like liverpool stature 300 million you know it's 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 crazy crazy money at even considering the state we were in but it was pretty bleak back then and, and it's easy to forget how bad it was but fsg they'll come in um and what we are sort of feelings around like the takeover when it happened well, delighted that we got rid of the the previous ones, but also a bit wary of what yeah. what was coming in. Um, again, I remember writing, you know, was loads and loads of stuff on them in in Well Reds at the time, and trying to find stuff out from Boston about what these people were like. I think um, I think the important point to make about them is that um, whatever you think of them, and you know, I get I get some of the arguments about these being conservative in the transfer market, and I wouldn't I wouldn't argue against that. What I would say is. You know, it was so bleak under Hicks and Gillette, and you know, we, we were. It was perilous. It was. It was like you know, this this could be like Armageddon for our football club. We could do a Leeds United type of thing. Yeah. That that was the that was the type of situation we were staring down the barrel at. And um, where, as I said before, you know, they come through the door and they promised this stadium, and we all all we ever see of it is a, a, a pictures, and, and nothing ever happens. If you think about what we were saying or, or what some Liverpool fans were saying at the time, what the likes of Spirit Shanky were saying at the time, uh, you know, we were saying we just want our club to be run in a sensible manner and to be a sustainable football club because surely Liverpool brings in enough revenue, is 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 popular enough that you know we don't need to be loading debt onto the club. We don't need to be, uh, you know, there don't need to be loans in the Cayman Islands or whatever else was going on at the time, all that dirty stuff, if you like. And when John Henry came in, he he said, you know, we'll run the club sustainably. We we won't we won't put it in a perilous position, and it never has been since. And yeah. look, you know, like I'd like another centre half, or I'd like another left back, or all the stuff that gets you know discussed to the nth degree about transfers. But there's a bigger picture than transfers. Um, and, you know, running the club properly, you know, increasing the revenues, making the club competitive that way, sorting the stadium out. You know, all of those things have happened. And, you know, we'll get there eventually with the Anfield Road. It's a bit of a shit show uh, situation now. But, you know, it will get there eventually. It'll be next season. But, you know, it, we were going absolutely nowhere under, the previous own, under those previous owners. These own we got a new training ground as well. We obviously won the league. They said they were coming here to win. We won the league. We won the European Cup. You know, so we've won pretty much everything. They've, you know, where I always laugh that they get no credit off the people who seem to absolutely hate them. Yeah, they get no credit at all about anything. So you, yeah. they'll say it's all down to Klopp, and it's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm with you. Klopp's a fantastic manager. Klopp's the best manager of my match going lifetime. 
who brought him in though? They yeah. still had to they still had to do the deal. And you can say, okay, well, you know, he, he's come to Liverpool, not to them. Sounds again, yeah, you're probably right. He he definitely was a, a football romantic, tempted by Liverpool, liked the idea that the crowd, liked the idea of rebuilding a fallen giant, and all of those things, undoubtedly correct. But they still have to do the deals and they still have to operate the club in a way where he doesn't get pissed off, put his hands up and say, I'll go and take another job. I've had enough. He keeps signing new contracts. There's rumours again of a of another yeah, one now. We're seeing that, yeah. And, and you know, it, so so that doesn't happen if they're running it in in a way that some people suggest they are. I don't think, um, because he surely knows himself that he's got the run of football. He can go anywhere else and get a job at any time, really. And you think about all the clubs that were sniffing round and when we got him. So, you know, Arsenal, Tottenham, City, United, all seem to have a bit of a sniff around them. And yet, he chose us. So, you know, the owners deserve some credit for that. Uh, equally, you know, there are things they've got wrong and there's no, there's no two ways about that. You know, yeah. the, the furlough decision wasn't wasn't right for me. Um, you know, obviously the £77 tickets, the European Super League. One that gets less mentioned, I think, is, you know, one of the... I, I can remember in the Hicks and Gillette period, um, we had local MPs and uh, going to Parliament and talking about, you know, the effect on Walton and Anfield of, you know, the way they were running the football club. Um, you know, if you go around the football club now, I think the relationship with neighbours and, and things like that is better than it was. Yeah. But there's still, a, there's still a huge patch of land which was supposed to be a hotel and it never came to fruition. And, well, what, what what's the story there? Do you know what I mean? And I'm not fully sure myself what the story is there, but I would say that, that looks like a little bit of a broken promise. Like, did they do enough in the community that in that particular situation? Equally, those things like, you know, Liverpool Foundation and stuff like that, um, they do do some great work in the community. It's improved. Again, this is under their watch. Um, you know, and you can say it's got nothing to do with them, but... You know they've they've allowed people to be employed by the club. You know it's still you know it's Billy Hogan that sort of is running it day to day, and he's approving. You know the likes of Tony Barrett going and work there. You know Amanda Jacks now goes and work. You know these are these are great people and great assets to Liverpool. The foundation, as I say, has skyrocketed, and now I think we can look at our own club and say I'm really proud of what they do in the community now, and we don't. We used to be looking over the road at that and saying, "Well, Everton are doing it better than us," yeah. or ever, or Everton are shouting about it better than us. <laughs> Either way, whatever it was, I think Liverpool are right up there now for that as well. So you know, there's bigger things than just buying players. You know, buying players is important, but I think sometimes some people, certainly some people that I see on social media, just focus focus on it far too much, and you know. There are saying, you know, we, we've had one set of shysters at our club, and I, I don't, I don't want another set personally. And I don't think these owners we've got now are the greatest owners in the world, and I don't think they're the worst either. They're, they're, they're all right. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, and and I'm sort of happy with with it being all right. Um, you know. People talk about wanting other owners and wanting people who are going to throw a load of money in. And look, there are fans out there who give no shits whatsoever. You know, like I've I've said and, and written before saying that, you know, I would like a set of owners that chime with what I think are the values of the city, the yeah. values of the people here and the values of the football club. 
there are some people that give no fucks about that, and I get that. They're just like, I'll have the oil money, I'll have money from anywhere if it means we can outspend City, if we can win the league every year, and I don't care about anything else. And that's fine. Look, that's an alternative viewpoint, but it's not mine. And, you know, it, it's as simple as that for me. So, you know, like I say, the, the, there is stuff that I can criticise the current owners about and have, and I've made lots of content about it, and yet any time I might bring that up, uh, I'm told that I'm sort of you know, on the payroll or, or oh, whatever yeah, and, and all this. <laughs> yeah, and all that bollocks. And it's like, well, I wish I was, you know what yeah. I mean, in a way, because like... <laughs> It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'd be able to pay the bills a little bit easier than I have been <laughs> in recent times. So, you know, all all that stuff and, you know, you'll get you'll get certain weirdos who'll spend days and days arguing with you about it, it, it you know, it, should you wish to engage with them. Uh, I, I no longer do. It's fair to say I've spent far too much of my life doing that. So you know that's my that's my stance on them. Um, you know I think I think they're all right. Um, I, I do think sometimes, like we'll the, the stuff we'll never know, isn't there? Like you know you look at sort of our clock, for instance. Now I was talking about January already, and look, I think we'd all love a defensive midfielder. We'd all love another centre half because it looks like well, Matip is out for the season, and then you wonder whether he'd get a new deal anyway. Klopp saying things like it's not up to me, that gives you a bit of a hint that you know the, the people who, who who we think have got older the pair of strings have got older the pair of yeah. strings. Is Klopp unhappy about that though? He's always got the option of saying it if he has. He's never really taken that no. uh, opportunity. Also, as well, I think maybe at times he can be conservative, perhaps as well. Um, I think he likes to rely on a group of players and likes to, you know, operate a meritocracy and likes to say you, you know, likes to look players in the eye and say you will get an opportunity. Obviously, he did that last night with the with the team he put out there. Loads of lads there got an opportunity that maybe other managers wouldn't give the players. So he likes to run the club in that way. And you know, look, there was loads of us. You know, I wouldn't quite say we've got egg on our face just yet because there's a still a, a, a shitload of football to be played, but. You know, I think about our podcast, for example, and, you know, like Kopi w- was giving it loads about signing a new centre-half, you know, before a ball was kicked. And then Kwanzaa's played well when called upon. And and so people are saying, you've now got egg on your face. And Kopi's saying, well, let's see, eh? And yeah. then Matip goes down and then it's slightly less egg on your face and so on and so forth. So it's like a change in picture. But I think, we'd all, like I say, we'd all love more transfers. We'd all love more players. But if you compare... This ownership to the previous one, it's night and day, and one is a lot better than the other, and it's the current owners, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. The likes of um, if if you have Jurgen Klopp there, and he wants these players to buy into his methods, he's not just going to bend them or, or block their path. The likes of Kwanzaa, Kwanzaa is given an opportunity at the start of the season, and he's getting a lot of stick for his comments about Matip last night. But you know, he's looking at an opportunity into the first team, and Klopp would rather. I want to speak for Klopp, I don't know, but I'm sure Klopp would rather see a young player progressing and filling that void rather than having to rely on the, the transfer market. It's something that he's constantly said, but a lot of fans choose to ignore that, as you've said. But if we go back to your early thoughts on the current owners, Gareth, so when you think of when they took over um, and they brought in Kamali and they brought in the likes of Jen Chang, there was a lot of... Um, a lot of stuff happening, wasn't there, in the early days under FSG that was a bit circusy, really. 
Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Look, no doubt at all about that. Um, and you know they made some mistakes, and they, they were always going to, weren't they? I mean, I yeah. think I think any set of owners, you know, that happens, and it and it's whether you learn from it and it's whether you build from it, and ultimately they did. But yeah, yeah, there were some uh, wild, wild moments in those days, and you you know triggered some memories there. Like I mean, um, you know the. There was attempts, I thought, at times that you know seemed to make sense to sort of, you know, build bridges with with fans and things like yeah. that. You know, I remember uh, John Henry himself sort of, you know, meeting people off Red and White Cop and meeting some people from Spirit to Shankly and saying, you know, we're here to learn and you know it's your club and all that kind of stuff. Then there was a sort of a long period where it, it felt as though they weren't quite listening and and you know they were prepared to sort of put our views aside a little bit and. They went where they went, you know, obviously regarding tickets that time, which was a shock to Spirit of Shankly and the shock to everyone. And yeah. ultimately, you know, to see people, and I was part of it myself, to walk out of a game on 77 minutes is one of the wildest things I've ever done as a as a fan. But, you know, it was a means to an end and it achieved what we wanted it to achieve. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've managed to sort of keep ticket prices relatively reined in ever since and long may that continue because i'm still of the belief that you know football is quite expensive enough thank you very much and yeah. the way the way liverpool needs to compete revenue wise is not fleece um you know lifelong fans who are already you know handing over a huge proportion of their you know their salary their income as it is um so you know i, I mean you know talking about sort of the effect going back to like the effect of the previous ownership um, I like the fact that we have that engaged supporter base, and you know yeah. I've got myself involved in Spirit of Shankly at the moment, and you know I went to a supporters board uh, meeting for the first time the other week as well. And and look, you know I think that stuff like that's fantastic to have, you know, a panel of people there from the club talking directly to fans, listening directly to fans. You know we've come a long we've come a long way. And and that supporters board is enshrined, you know what I mean? That's that's in the articles of association of the of of the club. Do you know what I mean? So like whoever whoever comes on to own Liverpool in the future, and there will of course be different owners at some point, they can't just they can't just kick that out the way. That's there now. And it's hopefully there as a, a way of you know controlling the matter side of thing. I, I don't think fans ever want to be involved. And this is something, you know, that is being talked about at Spirit Shankly. Actually, you know, how do we sort of say this and communicate this? I don't think, and I, I think most of the people there don't think that we should ever really be venturing into we want some kind of say about transfers. That's a bit wild. That's not yeah. that's not an area we need fans to be venturing into. How would that even work? Do you know what I mean? Uh, but what we do do going back to our what said before is you know we want fairness we want the club to be running the right way we don't want the club to be placed in a position like it was placed in before which is perilous and you know i mean out, an outrageous way to run a football club and again look look down the roads you know look at man united look at where they're at we're playing them this weekend you wouldn't want their owners you wouldn't want their ground you wouldn't want an hole in the roof you wouldn't want you wouldn't want their manager you wouldn't want their squad um, you know, they're a mess. And, you know, look, to be daft for a minute, long may continue. I'm made yeah. up because, you know, like they made my life a misery as a Liverpool fan for a long, long time. 
But you know, we're we're the polar opposites. You know, we're running it in the right way in a sustainable way. And look, as you said there, of course, yeah, they made mistakes, and you know, there was the Camoli stuff and the, you know, the Moneyball stuff, and you know, it, it did feel at one time as though they felt they could sort of like cheat the system through intelligence, and you know, they thought they'd found a bit of a backdoor, and they thought they definitely thought that financial fair play would have yeah. more teeth uh, than it has. Uh, it would be good if it more fills them. Yeah, and look, it would be good if if it if it showed its teeth to Manchester City rather than. You know, kicking the puppy that is Everton because, <laughs> you know, look, I've got, I, I've got, I haven't got that much sympathy for Everton because they've broken the rules and they deserve a, some kind of sanction for that. I understand the anger though when it's like, well, hang on, okay, we've broken the rules and we deserve some sanction, but what about these lads yeah. over here with 115 charges? Any hopes, lads? Do you know what I mean? So, but you know, we've heard we've heard from Manchester City. We know what their stance is. Anyone who's read the, the Spiegel stuff can see how you know they wanted to go. They're prepared to, to put Kevin De Bruyne wages against the lawyers' uh, yeah. bank account and say go and crack on. So you know they they'll just continue to deflect and you know keep on doing what they're doing. They don't really care. And look again, our club isn't run that way. And and look. I'm sort of sound with it, you know, like, so it wasn't ideal, the circumstances that we won the league in. Of course, we would all say we wish we were there and we wish the stadium was full and we wish it didn't come at the time it come, but no one can predict a pandemic. Um, But I still think in in a sporting way, that, you know, the way we went about winning the league and, and, and we won the thing, you know, has got more value to it than just racking up league titles by breaking the rules year after year, which is what City are doing. Um, and I sort of don't know, and I, I haven't, I, I, you know, I only know, I don't know that many City fans, to be honest. And the ones that do know, we don't really sort of have a direct conversation. I think we both agree that it's probably for the yeah. best not to have that left direct said. <laughs> Yeah, but but I do wonder how, how you know, not, not it's extreme to say how do they sleep at night, but, you know, do, they must think... Doesn't it feels a bit weird this and you know it's a bit mad this and all that and I'm not saying that you know the they're, they're at night praying for the days of when Jeb Branham was turning out for them and they're getting <laughs> yeah. beat by Stockport County but the glory you know, days it's it, just the way they've gone about it is a bit grubby isn't it and you know I, I do wonder about how they all feel about that deep down if they were honest but getting someone to say out of that lot. How do you feel them deep down or whatever? It's a, quite a difficult task as uh, anyone who's ever produced football content, no doubt, has found out. Yeah, 100%. You know, and it, it's, it is important that you you do stick something you touched on earlier the, the values of your club and your city and things like that. And the, the toast for these um, Middle East owners, because they'll tell you, oh, they do so much for the area. And Manchester City have done, you know, they they built up the area. And, and of course they do, because that's what they're doing there. They're sports yeah. washing the whole pro the whole project that everybody thinks it's great and and tones a blind eye. But the thing with Everton, like yeah, kicking a dog when it's down, ten point deduction for for one charge of it's not fairly insignificant. But in the grand scheme of things, when you think of Man City, it'll be interesting to see what what plays out there. But they're just going to keep toying it up and toying it up in red tape and kicking it down the line. And Pep yeah. Guardiola won't be there. It won't be his problem. He'll skate off into the sunset in a couple of years and will wipe his hands of the whole mess. But it's so important to have ownership that, you know, 
try to do the best for the club. And I'm not saying, look, if FSG have totally done that, but you know, how do you feel that their ownership has played out? You've touched on they've won an awful lot and they've learned an awful lot of, from their mistakes along the way. When you think about the club, sort of when they bought it and where it is now, like it's it's night and day, really, isn't it? From a, a commercial sort of uh, enterprise and and a, a football in enterprise as well, the difference is just through the roof. Yeah, hundred percent. And look, you know, if you want to be cynical about it, and plenty of people are out there. Um, they've done, you know, from a financial point point of view, they you know they played the blind, haven't they, for themselves? Because you know what's Liverpool worth now? Well, it seemed it looked pretty certain when you know there's plenty of people reporting that you know a, a deck, as they called it, was prepared to uh, sell the club, and there was a little bit of a row and back saying, "Oh no, we only ever were were looking to um, sell some of the club." But I'm pretty sure if someone had came along at that time and offered the right money. They would have had the chat, and, and look, we we might not know about it. They may well have had the chat. Uh, what I what I'd like to think with them is that I know they're going to sell, and I know they're going to make a profit, and loads of people are going to say, "I told you so." When they make that profit, but that's all they were ever in it for, the yeah. businessmen. Um, and you know, I don't like the fact that we have to call football a business. I'm, I'm more of a purist, and yeah. you know, I I'm more of a sort of you know jumpers for goalposts type fella, but. Look, you know, the world's changed and this is where it's gone. And, you know, there's not too much we can do about it. You know, I keep mentioning sort of supporters' role in all of this and Spirit of Shankly and all of the rest of it. You know, once upon a time, we dreamed about supporters owning the club. And I think, unfortunately, that, that dream's died. You know, there's no way in the world that us as supporters can raise a billion pounds to go and buy Liverpool Football Club. It's just not happening. So, therefore, you know, the next question is who realistically is out there you can afford that and it's not that many people i think that's what they found when they've gone looking for you know someone to take over from them and so then they've returned back to the idea of of sort of smaller stakes being sold and you know they remain in in situ so um i, I think as i say you know in terms of what they what they said they wanted to do when they arrived and, th- and in terms of what they have done well they, they can say We've done everything we said we were going to do. We're not Hicks and Gillette. You know, we, we've we come. We said we were going to win. We said we were here to win. We have won. Um, we've racked up pretty much everything there is to win. Um, hopefully the Europa League, you know, drops inside alongside all the rest of them this season. Uh, and who knows, you know, we, we are currently top of the league after all. Um, maybe a title as well. You know, be nice, wouldn't it? So, um, my thing about it as well is, you know... You know, I've been supporting Liverpool a long, long time and, you know, been going to the match for a long, long time. And when I look at United currently at the moment, because it's hard not to sort of consider them when we're, we're literally playing them this weekend. But, you know, sort of their season being over before Christmas, you know, I can remember the days when that was quite a regular thing for us. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I can remember walking up to matches and saying it to me mates, like saying, you know, just just like to see the other side of Christmas and we're competitive, do you know what I mean? And I think I, I think another thing that gets lost in all of this sometimes when we're having chats about owners and, you know, whether they're the good, the bad or, or somewhere in between is how much of it is actually, you know, in your control, even as the owner. So, you know, they're running Liverpool fairly well, I would say, as I've said before earlier in the chat. Um, can they match City? No. 
can they bollocks? Uh, there's nothing they can do. They haven't got that money themselves. They're not prepared to put that money in themselves. They never ever said they were going to either. Um, they don't want to break the rules. That isn't how they do it. Uh, they wanted FFP to have teeth. It hasn't got the teeth that they expected it to have, et cetera, et cetera. They're just not going to do it. And is there a set Is there a set of owners anywhere in the world that are going to come in and pump the money that has been pumped into City and act and run the club in the way that they're run? Because, you know, everything with them is this, like, siege mentality. Like, you know, your wafer are out to get us. The Premier League are out to get us. Everyone else in the league hates us. Or, you know, it's constantly dripping from Guardiola, even though loads of people seem to think he's sound. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you can hear it in what he says and how he acts. And, you know, it, it, it's so obvious that, you know, that is how they run from top to bottom. And, and as I say, again... You know, I can't believe that, it, you know, anyone who wants to have a debate about owners or anyone who wants to look at them and hold them up as something, I'll say it and I've said, said it till I'm blue in the face, you know, go and read the, the Spiegel stuff, honestly. And, like, if, if you want to engage with City fans online, well, I, would, I definitely wouldn't recommend that. But, like, when you start throwing that at them, like, the arguments you get back aren't great. Um, yeah. And, you know, they'll almost always start resorting to, or some of them will start resorting to abuse. Um, and, and claiming claiming all kinds of madness, uh, which I had the last time I engaged in the debate. But you know, we did a whole show on it. Like we, you know, we did, we did we did a whole show on on the late challenge about sort of is is the Premier League fucked? And a lot of the basis of that show was going through the charges, going through you know what they've done, and going through the fact that nothing is still happening after all this time, and they continue to be there. And and then of course you know like it, it sort of presented it like for me if you if i'm talking about man city ever on our podcast and i do a fair bit yeah i'm i'm always throwing in that the cheats as far as i'm concerned i'm always throwing in that they decided to break the rules and they decided to run their football club in that way you very rarely get that obviously in the mainstream like you know it's it's all this they're the greatest team ever they're the greatest team in the world they've got this fella that fella they've got this manager this striker for me, there's just this huge asterisk over everything they do. It's floating around in front of my eyes every time I, wa I watch them play football. So yeah. Liverpool aren't run that way and won't be run that way uh, in in any time soon. And so, you know, to punch our weights and to be competitive where that's your opponent, I think that's pretty, you know, I think that's pretty good to be fair. Uh, and as I say, you know, everything's rosy behind the scenes in terms of the finances. You know, we've got a we, we've got a nice stadium there, a, a growing stadium, a stadium that you know this this weekend will host one of the biggest crowds Anfield's ever seen. That number will go up again. It, it, you know, and, and we like I say, I'm happy with it. And and you know, like I I live not far away from Everton's ground. Well, all of their grounds. You know, Goodison's far too close to where I live currently. Um, and you know, the way I travel sometimes. I, I can see their other ground going up and I can see how they're getting on with that. And look, it looks good. Fair play to them. But as I said before, I'm happy. I'm happy where we are. I'm happy with the Anfield. I'm glad that we stayed. Um, and again, I wonder how, you know, Evertonians will feel about, you know, when they do move to the new, to Bramley Moor and they do get in there, you know, will they miss Goodison? I'd imagine that they will because they've got so many memories locked up there. And, um, and it'd be a bit sad. I don't know, I'm going on off on a tangent here, but it'd be no, a bit sad for this area. Uh, yeah. It'd be a bit sad for this area when when Goodison does go because anyone that's ever been down County Road, I know we like. There's lots of jokes about that being, <laughs> you know, this massive Everton area, and it is a massive Everton area. 
Um, but I, I, gen- I worry for it. I worry for this part of the city. It's already lacking uh, yeah. money. It's already lacking investments. And, you know, a lot of the, the pubs and, you know, businesses and stuff around here are hanging on by a thread as it is. So if you go and shift the Premier League football club, you know, and it's, it's only sort of a mile and a half, two miles away, or if that, but it'll make a huge difference. To all. And, and I've heard already that, you know, they're talking about things like um, bussing the fans, you know, to and from the pubs to try and keep these pubs going. But How long like will that say, last? And I'll have, like I say, I genuinely worry for them because, you know, I've gone and had a pint in some of them. Not not the brick. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you brick. know, I've got, I've gone in the week and stuff like that. It's dead. You know, no, yeah. no, no one's venturing to this part of the city uh, other than football. So, yeah, that's a bit of a worry that. But, yeah, that's an absolute tangent from where we were. So no, no. It's a good tangent. That's go wherever you want with these things. You know what I mean? But it is a good point because, you know, you touched on it earlier as well. The, the idea of that stadium that Hicks and Gillette were looking to build and these ridiculous photographs, images that we were seeing and this spaceship design thing that they had. And to just redevelop Anfield made all the difference, you know, and, and look, FSG have done that with, with Fenway Park and all that. So they knew what they wanted to do. And I sort of hear what you're saying, would Everton, they're not going to have that dogs of war mentality in a shiny new stadium down on the docks that they have. Yeah, in it'll Odyssey. feel different. Yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll feel very different. And like, I mean, I'm sure they've, you know, there's the, the people who are building it and all that have done the studies and and all the rest of it, but it's going to be fucking freezing, surely. <laughs> Because, you know, like Anfield and Goodison are freezing already and like, you know, subject to, to quite mad weather at times and things like that. Like people people make a big thing about Jürgen mentioning the wind at times. And and I and when, when it's like I see stuff like people taking the piss about it and things like that, I'm like, have you been here? Because it is a thing, you know, like the yeah. Mersey's only there. And like the you know the the wind and the rain and all kinds of madness comes in off the Irish Sea and off yeah. off, off the Mersey and like it is a little bit wild round here like climate wise and and Everton have gone okay we'll put our ground even closer to all of that shit you know yeah. it, it's going to be absolutely freezing down there in the winter but but like I say but you know look the, the flip side of that just to to go back to that for a second is that where they're moving to needs investment where they're moving yeah. to needs it you know needs some fresh life breathed into it and you know hopefully it'll sort of close that gap between town and north liverpool a little bit and you know some investment will find its way to this part of the city yeah. because my god does it need it do you know what i mean it's like you know i'm 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 proud of the albert dock i'm proud of the city center i'm made up that we get tourists here and that economy is thriving but you don't need to venture too far to other parts of the city to go, well, what about this bit? Yeah. And 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 that's sort of been the case for most of my life as well. And I can remember talking to Alan Bleasdale about that a long, long time ago, a bit of a name drop there. But yeah, he was saying he, he was saying very similar though. He was like, you know, because we're both we're both lads who grew up in Heighton. Yeah. And, you know, there's not a lot of money getting spent on Heighton, I'll tell you that. And you yes. know, when um when the government was talking about sort of you know leveling up money and all this kind of stuff, Heighton put in for money to be spent on the town centre, and shock horror, the Tories didn't give it to them. Surprise, 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 <laughs> surprise! But it's a very valid point because you know the area, the 
as you say, to move away from to move everything away from Goodison that area. So I was over at the Fulham game there a couple of weeks ago and and drove down, got a lift from Manchester and drove down County Road and all that. And it, it was bustling. It was a Saturday evening. And when you think when that stadium goes there, as you say, what will be taken from there will move to down where Brandy Moore is. But will Liverpool be able to sustain that local economy up around Banfield? You know, like you said, you've done good work, but there's still a lot of a lot of work that needs to be done. And and especially if they take everything out of there as well, you know, will will the will the club be able to, to carry that load? Only time will tell, I suppose. But um Give us some pros of the FSG ownership, Gareth. If you have any, if you don't, you don't. But if you have, what's been the big, the big plus points of their ownership for you? Well, like I say, you know, quite a lot of good stuff has happened on their watch, hasn't it? You know, whether you think it's down to them or not. So, you know, Jurgen Klopp's got to be, you know, right at the top of the list. They managed to get a fella that, you know, at the time, I can remember him being on the front page of you know, 442 and World Soccer and those type of magazines. And it was like, you know, this one of the headlines in one of those magazines was this is the most wanted man in football. Because, you know, everyone looked in at him at at the job he did at Dortmund and the character he was and the football they played and how he developed that club and how he got them punching above their weight and how he got them competing with the big boys. And everyone went, I love him, love him at our club. And I remember, you know, when we when we got Klopp, I was absolutely delighted. Uh, you know, I obviously wasn't alone on that. Everyone was buzzing. You know, I was fortunate enough to go to his his first ever press conference, and you know, the the, the sort of the aura around the man when he walked into that room was unbelievable. He drops the you know he drops the normal one line and all that kind of stuff. He's got the journalist eating out of his hands, and it was just such a big thing to get him. And I, I remember talking to my mates and saying. And we all said, so, so, you know, if this man, if this man can't win the league for Liverpool, you know, it's never going to happen. Because let's be honest, you know, during that 30 years, there's plenty of times where you thought, this is just never going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, we had credible title challenges here and there under Rafa and, you know, even at times under Julia, obviously the, the, the little roller coaster under Brendan and things like that. But, you know, even things that happen within that, do you know what I mean? You were just like, like you know, the the, the Gerard thing and, you know, the like players like Machida or whatever popping up for Man United and then completely disappearing again. And you just, th- there was times where it felt like a curse, do you know what I mean? There was times where you just thought, it's just not going to happen. And like, you know, everyone's going to be taking the piss out of us for, forevermore <laughs> because we can't get it over the line. So, you know, Klopp and winning the title are number one. You know, yeah. and that's come under their watch. And like I said before, you know, they can walk away, whatever people say about them, and say, we're, we're the owners that ended that. We're the owners that ended that 30-year wait. So, you know, that's that's got to be right up there because, you know, did a title challenge look likely when, you know, we're losing to Blackpool, when we've got Hodgson knocking around? Did it bollocks, you know? And, you, you know, the players that the players we had then as well, you know what I mean? Like Koncheski playing for Liverpool Football Club. Pons How did that ever team. happen? And then, you know, and you know, Pearslow, the Fernando Torres of finance, having his fingerprints all over like a huge deal for Joe Cole to come to Liverpool. And you know, anyone who watched him, it looked like he was smoking 40 ciggies <laughs> a day. Like, you know what I mean? It yeah. was he was way past his best. Yeah. He was way past his best. So to you know, to leave all that. In the, in the rear view mirror and, and have, uh, you know, have, have a manager like Klopp, 
have the players that have played for us under under their watch as well. Um, you know, we've never been short of a of a hero in 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 that time, have we? And you know, it looks like once again, you know, we've got players that we you know we we may well be considering in a similar bracket pretty soon. You know, the likes of Sabozlai and what have you. So, yeah, I think um, I think they've done a lot of things right. Uh, there's no two ways about that. You know, they've got. They've won the league. Um, you know they've improved the grounds. We've got a new training grounds. Um, they have engaged with fans, not always well, but you know they have. You know there are plenty of owners out there, and we've seen the scare stories and we've seen the horror stories who don't give a shit about tradition, don't give a shit about fans, don't regard us as any kind of custodians. And I've just come in and you know done mad things like ch- try to change the name of the club or you know or change the kit. Or change, you know, a, a, a club that's played in blue for all its life. Yeah, got them playing in red. You know, what magic. Oh, mate. That's so you know, when, when you put it in the context of that, and when you say, and and then there, there of course, you know, our own previous owners who compared us to Weetabix. You know, when you <laughs> when you when you put it in the context of what we could have had, you know, I, I think we've done all right. Um, so yeah, they're. That's the pros, I would say. What about the cons? What about the cons? What's been the big the big down points for you? I know we touched on some of them earlier, but what would you say? I mean, got, the, the Super League, the Super League's got to be right up there, hasn't it? You know, just sort of pulling that out their arse and, and, you know, they've been hatching this secret plan off to the left and not consulting with anyone. That went against everything that they'd sort of said they were about previously. Yeah. And, you know, that was such a, such a mistake and such a PR disaster and... I actually thought and wrote at the time that, you know, I, I thought that would be the end of them. Um, I was, you know, I'm quite surprised that they, they, they were able to row back from that, really. Um, and I think a lot of people now, you know, still, you know, are stung by that, really. And that's a big stain on their time here that they, they went and did that. And my understanding of it as well is that, you know, I mentioned before the likes of um, Billy Ogan and the people who sort of, like, run the, the club, you know, on a more on a local level, if you like, and who were there day to day rather than miles away in Boston or whatever. Um, it was a shock to them as well. You know, th- this was very much, you know, a, a John Henry uh, level of madness. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, to put our name to that and, you know, to have the players even like, you know, they, they walked into the dressing room, didn't they? And, there was the there was the um, t-shirts there, sort of taking the piss out of Leeds, the was idea. Leeds was it? Yeah, it was. And you to have them associate, you know, they shouldn't have been facing that. The yeah. manager shouldn't have been facing that. Jurgen shouldn't have had to have answered questions about that. That, that was their shit. That was yeah. their doing. And you know, ultimately, of course, we got um, John Henry rolled out um, to apologise for it all. But yeah, absolute shit show. Um, the the ticket prices thing was another saga, another fiasco, another shit show. I don't, I really don't know what they were up to with that. And again, you know, I'm not saying it's insight, you know, but what I remember of it, I can remember Jay McKenna, who was then the chair of uh, Spirits of Shankly, back involved now as well, which is brilliant news for yeah. for all involved. I would say, um, Jay, um, I remember Jay coming into the Anfield offices with. Um, you know, various bits of paper, and he's like, They've just gone rogue here. Do you know what I mean? This is he's like, This isn't what we've been negotiating. That you know, 
we've been involved in talks and they were saying they were going to do this and they were saying they were going to do that and we were feeding back our opinion about X and Y and then they just suddenly gone, boom, not asked, £77. And I've obviously, you know, that went down well with the support, didn't it? Um, but, you know, again, what I said before about sort of, you know, a motivated fan base and, a, and an active fan base, you know, the... It was a brilliant show of strength from the fans to, you know, come out with the the black flags, to walk out on 77, to secure all that media coverage and be discussed on, you know, footy focus match of the day, uh, to be a headline across the world about, you know, sort of don't take the piss out of football fans because this is what happens when you do. I thought all that was brilliant. Um, And, and, you know, it it serves as a lesson to some of these fat cats that come and get hold of our football clubs that you can't just do what you want, lads. And it is always lads, isn't it? Let's be honest. Um, You know, you you can't just do what you like. You can't run, you know, you can't run run roughshod all over football clubs because you'll get, you'll get some, you'll get some kickback. I, I think sometimes the people who run football clubs think that there's, there's a never ending, a supply of arses to fill those seats and that you know they can do whatever you know so what you know that we had the legacy fans thing didn't we yes. uh during the super league so you know like i was you know these people it described the likes of me to be honest you know legacy fans you want x y and z and want clubs to be running this way not the first time that i felt disparaged by you know things that people running football clubs said. You know, I was uh, I, I got a mention in the uh, in that dossier that was uh, leaked way back when under yeah. the you know ju- during the Hicks and Gillette time. Um, so yeah, it, it was um, like I said before. I'm proud of the fact that you know fans have got themselves in a position where there is a constant dialogue with the club now where the club know as well that, you know, if they do something that's out of line, it will be called out. There is a a check and balance, if you like. There is someone sat on their shoulder, if you like, ready to, uh, you know, to pounce if they do something wrong. But, yeah, so, you know, Super League, £77 tickets, the furlough stuff, um, certainly that sort of, you know, there's arguments to be had there about sort of have they backed the manager enough at times. You know, the, you know, shouldn't have been going shopping for, you know, Kabak and Davis or whatever. You know, that was that that was a joke. Let's be honest. Um, that was a time when you just needed to dig deeper and find something other than a bit of fluff in your pocket. You know, you needed to needed to pull the pound notes out at that time and and make make a, a big buy. And, you know, it wasn't right that a, a club like Liverpool was making do with players like that. And it was counterproductive, as it was last year with, you know, Artur and things like that. So, and here we are again, you know, here we are again now with, with, with a similar situation. And I, that would be one of my questions about to them, if I could ever speak to them directly. I would say, well, do you not feel like at some point you've got to learn your lesson here? Yeah, you might yeah. have to go and pay a bit of a tax because other clubs will look at the current situation and go, that a centre are short there, or they're still crying out for an actual DM rather than a lad pretending to be one. And and look, you might you, look, you might just have to break some of your own principles and pay a little bit more at times. That's where that would be a a con for me against them. I don't think it's been to the point where you know it's ridiculous. Um, not too many times anyway. I don't think it's been sort of you know Rafa going recruiting the Greek lad. Yeah, uh, Kiriakos. Kiriakos. 
you know, no one in no one in Wales football wanted wanted him in. Do you know what I mean? And like, lucky come in and sort of semi did a job and ended up a little bit of a sort of cult hero because he was wild. Um, but you know, so we're not at those levels, or we shouldn't be at those levels. But equally, there are times where you just think you need to pull your ass out. You need to pull your finger out of your ass here, lads, and sign someone. And it feels a little bit like that regarding the centre half in January. If I had anything to do with it, and I don't, um, that I would be advocating that. You know, massively, and, and look, maybe the manager is behind the scenes. Yeah. He, he might be, because we all know. Like, what what makes me laugh about football always is, is the idea that just because the managers are contractually obliged to speak to the media, which they are, doesn't mean they have to tell you anything. Yeah, and it doesn't mean they can't tell you absolute porky pies, and it doesn't mean you know that they won't absolutely PR a situation uh, because. They're under no obligation to tell you the truth of what's going on behind the scenes. They don't have to. It's not law. It's not a court. It's a room with people with microphones in that the manager has to walk out and speak in front of. So, yeah, it's um, that would be a con. I would say that you know the uh, there are there have been times where it's felt they could do a little bit more and that they were a bit too conservative. Yeah, I think that's very fair, more than fair. Um, the future of the ownership of the club. Robo, where do you see that going? Because I think people were uh, up until the summer were hankering for, as we touched on earlier, the oil money to come in, the Qatar bids or the Kuwait or Saudi Arabia or anywhere in the Middle East to come in and yeah. buy Liverpool. But subsequently, they're selling off parts of its smaller stakes. Where do you see FSG or the future of Liverpool in? Obviously, it won't be a year or two, but it's probably 10, 5, 10 years down the line. How do you see the ownership going? I don't know. It's a big it's question hard, isn't it? for me. Um, and you know, as I said before, you know, once upon a time, um, you know, clubs were pu- fans were pushing for some kind of you know part ownership or or even ownership. You know, you go back way back when uh, older heads might remember like Share Liverpool and things like that, um, which has long since died to death. Um, you know, even Spirit to Shankly in terms of it, it's it, you know why it was set up and all that. If you if you work your way through the reasons. One of them was the ultimate goal was to own the football club. I think I think most people would accept now that that, that isn't realistic. Uh, you're not going to see that. I saw someone in the comments there saying, "No, is it enshrined about the the supporters board?" I mentioned that earlier. It is. It's in the it's in the articles of association. Um, it's it, it's safe and that's a good thing. Um, what we need to work on now and make sure of now is that you know it's not just a tick box exercise. And that when the club, you know, are looking to introduce policies or do things that fans aren't happy about, that they listen to us. Um, you know, I'm, I've already started having my say in there. I wasn't shy about saying a couple of things, and the meeting I went in. So, you know, while I'm a part of it, I'll certainly say what I think, and there are plenty of other people involved who'll do the same. I mean, you know, Spirit Shankly have got a good number of seats on that board. Yeah. Uh, other supporters groups are represented as well. It's not just Spirit Shankly, so. It's a good thing that that's there. Um, you know, I'd like to see even more involvement from from that from the board, if you like it, supporters board. You know, it it could be tick boxy. You know, the the Premier League as well as sort of enshrined it in, in in their statements. I think sort of trying to get ahead of the regulator idea that you know they expect every club now to have some kind of support and involvement. But like, like I said, like I think this is a, a really good time for football supporters in a way, in that never before 
after you being recognised as someone who's a positive to the running of a football club like now. So we've got these supporters board, we've got the Premier League talking about it, we've got the government white paper, we've got a potential regulator coming in, we still don't know quite how that's going to look. Um, there are aspects of that regulator, by the way, that I don't get and, and mm. doesn't feel like it's talked about enough. Like, I mean, I've been sad enough to go and read the white paper um, <laughs> and there's nothing in there about leverage buyouts, which yeah. I find wild. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they, they, that shouldn't be allowed. You should not be able to get hold of a football club by loading debt onto said football club. That should be outlawed. There's got to be a way to prevent that. You know, yeah. Man United fans will be right behind that, obviously. We should be right behind that, obviously. So I'd hope um, we can make it a little bit less Wild West. Um, and, you know, uh, I listen to I listen to plenty of football media, watch plenty of football media, read plenty of football media. And it makes me laugh listening to Simon Jordan, who thinks the whole thing's a joke. Because guess what? He used to own a football club and him and his mates um, think football fans are idiots. But they've proven up time and time again that they're not. Um, so having something in there, some kind of check and balance is a good thing. I also think as well, what I've said all the way through this this chat, mate, is that you know Liverpool is a fan base that is active and will, will can come alive over when things are wrong. You know, you look look how it come alive over the European Super League and things like that. I like to think, and maybe I'm naive, but I like to think that 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 itself acts as some kind of check and balance to potential groups that might want to take hold of Liverpool. So I'm sure there are plenty of groups that have come and had a look. Um, and maybe, just maybe, they've gone, this isn't one where we can really get our hands into it in the yeah. way we want to, because those fans are a bit wild. <laughs> you know, they, they won't take no for that. Look what they did to Hicks and Gillette. You know, that type of thing. I like to think that part of the club story, um, story will prevents us getting the very worst owners in the future. That's what I like to hope. And, you know, like I, I said before, I'm romantic anyway about football. And, you know, I, I love seeing Scouse lads play for Liverpool and all of that kind of stuff. You know, I've still got that in me. I'm still clinging to it, despite all the, the bits of modern football that I don't like. And so I'm going to be romantic about this as well and say, I hope uh, and pray that, you know, supporters being as active as they are, they're being a supporters board, they're being spirit of Shankly, just maybe makes you know the charlatans out there think twice about coming near our football club. And I, and I think all we can pray for, like I said before, mate, is that you know we get someone, and I don't know who that is, um, but we get someone or a, a group of people that you know do want to be aligned to our values a little bit. And, and yeah. look, that might be unrealistic. There'll be plenty of people saying, uh, perhaps some people who are watching it now, we just sort of say, you know. Well, this fella's full of shit because look at the way football's gone. The Saudis have got older, you know, Newcastle, Abu Dhabi have got got older Man City. And, you know, that's where it's going. And you know, look at look at who's been linked to Manchester United as well. And so it's a very difficult question, mate. Who who knows? All we can do is just sort of keep um keep, you know, keep keep on the bandwagon and sort of see where it goes. I mean, I think I'm not sure it's a. I, I think it's a problem and it isn't. Um, I'm going to say this. So, um, but I speak to a lot of fans, and I think a lot of fans go the match, uh, watch the football, engage with the football media, do all the stuff that they've always done. But deep down, they feel a little bit broken about it. 
Do you know what I mean? Like they feel like it's gone in a direction that they're yeah. not sure about. And I'm not saying they're walking away from the game because the Premier League would, you know, can happily present that all the grounds are full, that demand for tickets is as high as it's ever been. And of course, that's a lot of that's down to the globalization of the game and you know, fans coming from all over the world now to to watch Premier League football. That's where a lot of that demand comes from. Um but like I say, with a lot of fans I speak to, and I felt felt it like felt like this a lot myself, and I constantly sort of go from highs and lows with it. Really, I've written about that loads of times as well. Like you know, is there a tipping point? Is there something that I finally say, oh, do you know what? I'm out. That's me done. Um, not yet, but it could knows. be. Mm. It could be. And and one thing I think is a knock on effect of this. Is that and I've, and I've I've enjoyed as well. Is that like I like to go to sort of you know non-league football and things like that, and a lot of that seems to be doing a lot better than it used to be. Like you know you could go to local sides around here and you'd be lucky to see fifty people stood there, and now like you know like I went to when Marine were uh, got to were playing in the FA Cup the other week they played Harrogate, and it was sold out two and a half yeah. hours. There. And it was like that's unbelievable. That's brilliant. Okay, it's uh, yeah. yeah, it's absolutely superb, and it's brilliant to see. And it's brilliant to see little kids at those games and things like that. Because you know, I'm an old man myself now, and when I go on the cop and I look at, and I'm fortunate in that, you know, I got my name down at the right time, and I've managed to get a season ticket. But my own lad, you know, me, he's 15 years old, and. He just goes to the occasional game because that's all I can get him to. Yeah, he's been, you know, I got, I, I did all the things that you meant to do. I, 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 he was a member and all that kind of stuff. I think we got needle in a haystack, isn't it? Yeah, we got one match for him, and it was it was against Newcastle. I was in the gods. Um, yeah. I managed to swap it around so that I got him next to me. But ultimately, that's the best way of getting them to the matches if one of my mates can't make it and we transfer it over on friends and family like going yeah. through the actual system like you say needle and haste that mate and that's sad um and i don't know what you do about that i know that liverpool are going to do a complete review of tickets and the direction that they're going to go with tickets and from what we heard on that supporters board it was it was like sort of anything and everything is on the table um who know, again who knows where that goes um i don't actually know what the answer is i'm not sure they do either in that we've got that many different groups of fans now that there's always someone who's going to be pissed off so you know i'm i'm in the season ticket holder group and i realize i'm very fortunate to be in that group but i'm on i'm not i haven't got a single credit for going away from home so and again, where'd you start? How'd you get on the ladder? How'd you get up to the position where you can regularly go to away matches? I don't know. Yeah, um, impossible. And so, you know, yeah, and, and so I'm in a kind of similar boat to my son, like he is for any match. I'm in that boat for away matches where I'm constantly on the scav for them. I'm constantly asking people, and sometimes I strike lucky, and other times yeah. I don't like, you know. So I, I would love to have gone to the City game this season. I asked absolutely everyone. I was mentioning on the shows a message everyone I could think of. Uh, tried to, you know, anything and everything. I tried to do it. No, no dice. Yeah, not happening. And and I won't ever play over the odds either. Because look, I understand why people do pay over the odds because they feel it's the only way they can get into the ground. But my stance on that is, if I pay over the odds, 
I'm helping touts and I don't like touts, so yeah. I'm not doing it. Um, Simple. But, you know, I, yeah, and I look, I have people who say to me things like, you know, do you go all the Euros, do you? Do you go away in Europe? And I'm like, you know, once upon a time I did do, yeah, but now I can't get the tickets and I don't even know how to start to get back on the ladder. Um, and, and I've had people go, oh, yeah, I just pay. I, I know this lad, he's a tout, I pay 180 quid, 200 quid, and I'm like, I'm not paying that for a ticket. Get to fuck. <laughs> it's it's a madness already. Um and especially as you say, yeah, young lad trying to get him over or trying to get him into the games at 15, you know, he wants to be there and, and it's just a nightmare. And that's for someone that's that's local, you know what I mean? Yeah, like I know people coming over from Ireland and, and they're paying big big dollars to get over to get in because they'll only do it once or twice a year. Yeah. It's just a nightmare to deal. But I agree with you. Why yeah. would you pay the why would you pay the tout? You're only feeding that one then, you know what I mean? And you're you're and look, that's a, and that's a difficult that's a difficult thing to go at as well uh, with the touts because you know the the, the more and more sophisticated the, the the tend to know or find ways to get around yeah. the system. The club are trying to be clever and and sort of you know reverse things back on them. And there's a bit of a thing the other week where you know a lot of the the local sale tickets were hijacked um, and the club realised that had happened and you know cancelled them and you know. You know, because there was loads of daft names and things that had been registered to buy tickets and blah blah blah. So they got onto it. But it, it does feel like whatever the club does, you know, the some of the touts seem to be always be a step ahead. And and look and look, it's difficult for like the likes of you know your normal man on the street to do anything about it as well, because you know, a lot of this stuff is connected to organized crime and things like that. So, you know, like You've got to be careful about what yeah. you say and who you say it to. Exactly. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be a crusader about uh touts too much because um you know I don't fancy get walking around the corner and getting done in at yeah. some point. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's the the price of being a famous face, Robo. You know what I mean? Like uh, <laughs> you have to watch what you're saying around there. But no, know, look, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll let you go now, but I want to ask you one more question. Uh, who's the best goalkeeper Liverpool have ever had? And why is oh, that fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> you spotted that, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah I've been following that L story already. Oh, uh, for anyone that doesn't hell. know, you're getting a lot of stick by the the Ray Clements ultras, eh? Have we, have we saying yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all you know, all that was was you know, I watched the Palace game like we all did, and and like you know, I just had one of those moments where I just thought, you know, what a goalie we've got in Allison. I was first of all, I was so like so made up to see his name back on the sheet, like yeah. you know, fair play to Callagher and all that, but. There is a there's quite a significant drop off between the two goalies, and so to see, you know, Allison back in, I was like, get in, that's a great start. Here we go. Whatever happens today, we've got him. And then of course he he produces a couple of quality saves, like he always seems to do. And all you know, I dared to venture into the into the space of saying, it's a good job we've got the best keeper we've ever had. Um, and yeah, as you say, uh, some people that seem to get up the nose because you're the huge Ray Clements fans. But look, you know, I've seen Ray on videos and stuff, and I know the score, and I know what he won, and I know what sides he was part of, and none of that is to disparage Ray whatsoever. But equally, I would say to the Ray Clements ultras, you know, what what is the fault in Allison's game yeah. that Ray was better at that you're able to rate him higher? I just. My comment was more about Allison is fucking brilliant. We've got the best keeper we can possibly have, and I love the fella. That was yeah. my point. But you know, 
the internet in 2023, Keith, isn't there it? You, you, know? you can't say anything. Yeah, it all comes back to haunt you. But listen, Raul, thanks very much for coming on to the show and giving no us worries. that insight into the 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 ownership of Liverpool from somebody that was sort of as I said at the cold face of it. It's it's easy for me to talk about from Dublin and not be there, but we wanted to get someone that was that was there and and has had a, a good involvement all the way through. So we appreciate you coming on and giving us the time no to problem, do this. Mate. Um, do you want to give a shout to where uh, anyone can find you just to remind them um where to to look for you on your show? Anyone that's watching. Yeah, so uh, the podcast that I do on a weekly basis is uh, The Late Challenge. So we're on YouTube, where wherever you get your podcast, you'll find us there as well. Uh, we do a Liverpool FC-specific show on a Monday called Live at 5, which is Live at 5. So if you fancy that 5 o'clock, just dive onto our YouTube channel jump into the comments get involved a bit like a bit you know not dissimilar to this yeah. um so that's me and Paul Cope uh, both who you know we used to be quite regularly on the Anfield rap if people might know us from there yeah. and yeah it's just something we've tried to build over the last year or so uh, if people do like it as well you've got like a main show which is sometimes football sometimes other stuff sometimes you know two middle-aged men uh, shaking the fist at the at the sky um and then we've got a Patreon as well, which is where you can sort of support what we're doing. So, you know, the, the shows that I've just mentioned there are free. You can dive on, you can watch them whenever you want or listen to them. We've got an extra show that we do each week behind the Patreon wall, if you like. Um, you can do a free trial on there or you can pay from four quid a, a month upwards. And that just sort of like helps us pay for the studio and things keep like that. Keep, on, keep yeah, it, yeah. yeah, keep it ticking along, mate. Uh, none of it as it stands, is unfolding into being this, like, you know, full-time living, which is what we were praying for, really. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's all still going for now, at least. So, yeah, get on to it, The Late Challenge. We've got a, yeah. got a little website as well, as you know, so if you just lash The Late Challenge into Google, you can find us that way as well. And we're on yeah. all the social media and all the usual stuff. Good stuff. No, it's brilliant. I, I do listen in. I think it's great stuff. So I would Cheers, recommend mate. anyone to, to jump on and, and support the lads. Um, so yeah, look, we leave it there. This that's been the the helm. I've been your host, Keith, and we'll see you again soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.